presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So over the course of the eight weeks, we'll be doing different meditations. But for the first week or so, really keep it simple. And uh, freshness is really important. So after you have some time to compose yourself, whether you want to practice with your eyes open or closed, then, like we did tonight, before you direct your attention, before you try to meditate, just sitting there until you notice that awareness of the body is already happening. Now we can distract ourselves from this sensitivity to the body, like I was saying. It's really one of the greater tragedies in our human lives is that we spend so much time disconnected from the body, the embodied experience. It's as if, you know, we have a human life and our strategy for being a happy human being is to be disconnected <laughs> from our life. It doesn't really make sense, but we do have this capacity to be lost in thought. And in being lost in thought, being identified with the thinking process and the meaning that the thinking is constructing, we can be oblivious. But even when we're oblivious to the body, the mind, the heart, is sensitive to the body. It's just not in view. So at the beginning of a sit, without trying to meditate, just allow that sensitivity of the body, in a sense, to reemerge. Oh, there is a knowing mind, a sensitive heart, sensitive to the body. This is already here and now. And it's really, it, it's because part of, one of the biggest part of the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of body is actually not so much about being mindful of the body, but transforming the mind's understanding, how the mind understands this, this, you know, experience of the present moment. And so we want to, <clears throat> we want to uproot some very deep old habits, like there isn't a body unless I go, I go and put my attention on it. So that would be the first thing that I'd recommend, is just uh, as often as you can during the day and then at the beginning of the set and then as many times during the set when you're totally lost in thought but then come back, just be patient and notice how the awareness of the body returns. Distraction fades, awareness of embodiment returns. And in some ways, you know, as we're practicing and studying the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of the body, the body and the world are kind of the same thing, you know, and we get lost and we're not just disconnected from the body, 
but we're disconnected from the world. We may think we're dealing with the world, but we're, we're just in our thoughts about it. So this uh, using mindfulness of the body is a way back to being real, as opposed to being unreal. And then once, once you allow the awareness of the body to re-emerge, and there's that very ordinary but also profound, oh, there's a body here. Embodiment is like this. Embodiment is being known, being felt. And, that, and you'll know that partly because there'll be a little bit of freedom from the mental construct of the body. Of course, well, the thoughts about the body, the thoughts about my body, all that mental activity, of course, is still going to be being generated. That's okay. Don't be, we're not, the practice isn't about repressing the thinking mind. It's a futile endeavor. <laughs> But just let the thoughts about the body be there. But we want to rediscover that that the, the reality of embodiment and the sensitivity to the body. And only then you can pick up some strategies. Like tonight, we did a body scan. And then, you know, where we're directing the attention to places in the body, like we did the head. And we're just keeping in mind the, the attitude of patience and kindness, sort of holding space. And then the, the more nuanced and subtle reality of the sensation in the head and face just comes into view. It's not so much that we've got to have the awareness penetrate into the skull or into the eyeballs or things like that. It's more that the reality of the head and face, the sensations, they just start showing up in the space of awareness. And that's the real flip. Instead of thinking there's a me, like a searchlight, shining my awareness on the body, that's the diluted view. But when you actually observe your subjective experience, you'll see that the sensations, like when the intention is to be aware of the head and face, like we did at the beginning of the body scan, so you're setting that intention, I'm interested in feeling the sensations in the head and face. And you're patient, and you're kind, which just means you're not there to judge, you're not there to fix, you're just curious. And then you'll notice sensations in the head and face and you'll recognize that they're being known here and now, being felt here and now. And, you know, we say, you don't have to say it to yourself, but we say, oh yeah, they're being known in the space of the knowing mind or in the space of the sensitive heart, whatever you like. But those are just words. Our subjective experiences, they're being known here and now in the present moment, in the space of the present moment. So we just sort of hang out, and when you're hanging out in each place, notice that the sensations are here and now, notice that they're alive with change. It isn't, 
because that really helps the mind or wisdom make the distinction between my concept, the idea of the head and face, and the actual movement of sensation. To feel the dynamic changing nature, right? And then the other thing to notice before you move on to the next place in the body is just some of the beautiful or wholesome qualities of mind. I mentioned, I think in the guide, it's like, notice how much more patience is there. Notice how the mind is naturally interested in being intimate. How there's a lot of energy, not dullness. How there may be even some joy. Maybe there's some tranquility and stillness and real balance, like equanimity. I, I'm neither for nor against anything. There's nobody for or against anything. The mind, the heart is really balanced. Those are the awakening factors and we'll keep returning to them through all the weeks. But they're basically wholesome, energizing factors of the mind and wholesome, tranquilizing, calming factors of mind. And we'll just, they'll just start naturally showing up. And we want to notice that. It actually, is, it's a real empowerment to see these beautiful qualities just start showing up. Because it really helps undermine this heavy idea that can creep into our spiritual practice and our meditation practice, which is some version of the idea, I have to do it. I have to be calm. I have to be alert. I have to connect with experience. And, you know, the basic premise and really the insight that the Buddha points to is that it's all happening on its own. So, and then you move to the next place. And you can do it in any, you know, generally top to bottom, and then you can go bottom up, back up, depending on how much time you have. But, you know, what we did tonight is fine, just go top to bottom, and then go to whole body awareness. And even in that whole body awareness, if you like working with the breath, you can use the breath almost like a metrodome when you're playing music, you know, the keeping the beat. With each inhalation, it's like a nice interval as you're breathing in to just, um, in a sense, reassert the interest to be intimate with the whole body. And then as you're feeling the breath going out, it's just like a cue for the heart to remember its intention to receive, to keep that in mind. Because that's the effort. The effort isn't in directing the attention to the body. The effort is in remembering there's a knowing mind or a sensitive heart already knowing sensitive to the body, to the movement of sensation, that that's already here and now. So the effort that needs to be made, the persistent effort, is keeping the body in mind. Oh yeah, this is being known. Just like through the day, we're going to keep in mind when we're reaching, that reaching is being known. And it's not like you got to say those words in your mind when you're reaching for the light switch. Reaching is being known, but you can. But the idea is to be so here and now that it's apparent that there's a body and there's sensitivity to the body. Both are nature. 
neither one of them requires a practitioner, a person to be the body or a person to know the body. Both the knowing and the body are the activity of nature. So as a practitioner, our task is more specific. It's to keep it in mind. Sati, the word for mindfulness, it's really derived from remembering. We're remembering to recognize the present moment. Oh, this is being known. And the body is, you know, obviously the more concrete aspect of the present moment. The visceral, you know, dynamic of what's here and now. So just to review, just to kind of give you something, and of course you'll have the recording from tonight, you can go back to, and there are many uh, great guided meditations on mindfulness of the body, but they'll be different. And like I said, we'll probably end up doing, you know, five or six different meditations during these eight weeks. So you'll get lots of different strategies. But for the first couple weeks, keep it really simple. Sit down, compose the body, and then just wait until there's that simple recognition. You know what? The body's being known. Without me doing anything, awareness of the sitting body, the breathing body, awareness of sensation is already here and now. Interesting that I didn't have to do that. Can I keep this in mind? Well, here's a simple strategy to keep in mind, because it keeps the mind interesting, interested. I'll do a body scan, right? And then, like I said, just direct your attention, choose a, you know, a place in the body that you're going to bring your attention, really notice those values of patience and kindness and brightness, real interest, and they just start showing up. You don't have to impose them. Notice the wholesome qualities that start to show up. Notice how, whatever experience you're being aware of, how with patience and continuity, the mind just starts to experience more and more. It kind of comes alive. And this is important because once we get a taste for it, we don't want to go back to being disconnected. Even though it can be quite unpleasant to feel the body, most people, once they've gotten some real taste of being present, nobody really consciously chooses to be numb and disconnected and unaware. We get into that habit, it's sort of a, you know, when we're hurting, when the body's tight, contracted, mind's tight and contracted, it seems to make sense to go towards oblivion and, you know, distraction. But it's done because the mind or wisdom doesn't understand the cost of being disconnected. Okay, the deeply provocative statement the Buddha said, you know, something like mindfulness is uh, the path to the deathless, to awakening, to freedom, to enlivened release of the heart. Those who are negligent, those who aren't vigilant, those who aren't practicing being mindful, who aren't remembering it's like this, 
they are as if already dead. That's, that's so shocking. And then when we're living a relatively disconnected life, lost in our thoughts, disconnected, not aware, not having too many moments during the day, oh, there's a body here, and it's tight, <laughs> and I care about that, right? And then to sustain that. So without a lot of that, we start feeling appropriately disconnected and flat and depressed and and so the mind becomes more and more dependent on intensity in order to feel alive. So we start putting cayenne pepper in our food and watching horror films and decide to have an affair and you know we start doing things so we we don't feel dead like the Buddha says when we're negligent when we're not intimate with the body with life we feel as if we're already dead so then we get the mind we start to get addicted to anything that kind of stirs the pot and then we get a world like this right both externally and then within our own each of our own lives you know our addictive our various addictions unhealthy unhelpful addictions to intensity eating more food watching more media than we need, than is helpful. And it's not that, you know, anybody, wise person would be against doing fun things. It's not like uh, to behoo fun things or exciting things. But the dependence, the neurotic dependence, right? And then you always have to up the ante. Isn't that the case? It's like, okay, I had one truffle. One truffle just doesn't do it. We had some truffles around. <laughs> They're gone now. <laughs> you know, or a little bit of news. Oh, but a could, something else could have happened. Better check it again. Maybe a little bit more news. And on and on like that. So then at the end, you know, when you've done, gone, the body scan through the whole body, then just opening to the, I mean, move through all the parts, and then whole body. And um, and get really interested at that point in that wise effort. Like, uh, if the effort isn't uh, intention, intentional enough or strong enough, then the mind will slip into thought. If the mind's trying too hard and the effort kind of has a self-centeredness to it, I'm trying to be connected with the body, then we'll miss it too. So that keeping the body in mind, that can actually be the theme when you're in the whole body, the totality of the sitting body. Remember, you can use the rhythm of the breathing in and out to support that continuity. So each time you're breathing in, it's like a little cue. Oh yeah, feeling, aware, the whole body. Whole body is being known. But in any case, it's a, like a very, it, it will provoke some real interest, like, oh, why is it so hard to keep the totality of the body in mind? 
the sitting body, the breathing body, the movement of sensation. Why is that so hard? So don't beat yourself up when you get distracted. Just get right back on the saddle, like, like you did right at the beginning. Just be patient. Oh yeah, here's the body again. Because it will return. You don't have to run back. You don't have to like drag your awareness back to the body. That misunderstands the nature of the body and the mind. When we feel like as a practitioner, because I've been distracted, I need to take the awareness and bring it back to the body. So when you notice you've been lost in thought, then just be appreciative that you noticed. And notice there's a feeling tone of having been lost in thought. So you can even ask yourself if you need the prompt, what does it feel like? What is the embodied experience of having been lost in thought? That's already here and now. Without awareness or me or anybody going anywhere or doing anything, it's just the interest. What's it like having been lost in thought? Ah, and you're right back in your embodied experience. Oh, there's a body here. And that body is of course naturally reflecting everything. The body and mind are always reflecting each other. It's right here. So then you're back. And then you're that curiosity about like, can I keep this embodied reality in mind? Can I practice not forgetting? What's just the right like uh, tone of persistence? How do I find that right note to keep the body in mind, to not forget. Not too much, not too little. And that will really help then when the sit, the formal sit is over and you're going about your day because what's really gonna help is what we learn about persistence. And if you don't like that word, just find another one because some words will be, you know, provoke the wrong kind of efforting and you'll be tight and then you won't it won't last long because you get tired and it will get brittle and unpleasant and so you're going to want to stop it <laughs> so the persistence that the buddha the kind of effort the buddha is pointing to is the kind of effort you can sustain all day long because it's it's not a hard thing to keep something in mind it's just not the habit of the mind but it can become the habit of the mind, but we need to be interested in it. And it's the interest that builds the interest, the continuity. Like valuing, really getting a sense that being in the body is a good thing. Being out of the body, being unaware of the body is stressful and makes it harder to come back to the body. Because where does the stress get laid down on the body. <laughs> so one of the reasons we don't want to live in an embodied way is <clears throat> the body is expressing all those moments we were disconnected and laying down layers of stress and tension. And so when we do come back, well, of course, we're going to feel what it feels like to have mostly been disconnected for as long as we've been disconnected. Of course it doesn't feel good. But to continue to live in a disconnected way is just digging the hole deeper. It's just going to be harder. 
you know, and um, I think the skillful way to use the Buddhist teachings on rebirth or just, it was really just part of the culture at the time of the Buddha, is like in a pragmatic way, not to believe it or to not believe it, but given that it's a possibility that there's rebirth, because who knows, right? Is it a, is it a, how can it be a skillful thing to bring in mind? Well, in this way, I think in this particular way is one example like, like we might think, you know, it's really hard to be in my body because it doesn't feel good. And you know, I'm 62, it's probably too late to change my habit. I'm just going to try to ride this out being disconnected from my body try to get to the end of this life and then it'll be done. So, you know, pragmatically, or uh, just in terms of what's skillful, bringing to mind that you might pick up where you left off in your next life, and you might have even a deeper habit of living in a disembodied way. And it will be harder to break the habit. So we know what it's like. I mean, all of us have had our own version of some addictive pattern in our life, and, you know, we let it go. We thought, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And finally, when we realized, you know what? It's a big deal. I need to stop doing this. And we realized, that's not so easy to change habits. So this is the thing. We want to be in it for the long haul. And just on an intellectual level, it doesn't make sense to have a body and to not be intimate with it. The body has so much, it's like such a powerful feedback mechanism. It really tells us how to live. I mean, on a lot of levels, like, oh, that's hot, I shouldn't be touching it. But, but even more importantly, it reflects the mind. It's so hard to know what's going on in the mind. But if we're intimate with the body, we, we know a lot more about the mind. When the mind is tight, the body tightens. And uh, so then uh, one thing I'll put in the email tomorrow is uh, there's two main discourses from the Buddha that we'll use in the course. One is the Satipatthana Sutta, and uh, especially, of course, the section on mindfulness of the body. And then there's another discourse um, that is, let's see how it's translated here. It's the, in Pali, it's the Kayagati, the Pa, the Kayagata Sati Sutta, mindfulness immersed in the body. And um, the, the first part is really just about sort of what we're doing tonight and for the first couple of weeks, which is just having um, the body as a kind of mindfulness anchor, both in our formal sitting time, but then all day long. So there's the breath and the physicality, the breathing process that can bring us back to the present moment. There's the uh, totality of the body. So when we're moving about, it's every movement. And there are the postures. So that when we're standing, there can be a simple reflective awareness. Oh yeah, standing's like this. When we're sitting, there's an awareness of sitting. When we're lying down, there's that awareness. When we're moving or walking, there's that awareness. 
So this, these, uh, I want to read you these two passages, and I'll, I'll uh, paste them in the email so you'll have them. Um, and the whole sutta is part of that resource page that you'll get the link for. So I won't read the part about uh, awareness of the in and out breath. And then so the second practice, after the breathing practice in the sutta, the Buddha says, Furthermore, when walking, the practitioner discerns, I am walking. When standing, one discerns, I am standing. When sitting, one discerns, I am sitting. When lying down, one discerns, I'm lying down. Or however this body is disposed, that is how one discerns it. And if one remains thus heedful, ardent and resolute, any memories and resolves related to the worldly life, which is kind of Buddhist code for greed, anger, and delusion, you know, relating with greed, anger, and delusion, right, are abandoned. And with their abandoning, one's mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. This is how a practitioner develops mindfulness immersed in the body. So we can just try it. Most of us are sitting now. So even as you're listening, you know, and maybe seeing, isn't it possible for this sustained awareness Sitting is like this, just awareness of the posture. And interestingly, learning how to be really intimate with sitting, this awareness of sitting, it doesn't actually make you distracted or unaware of like what I'm saying. And this is, this teaches us, I mean, this is you know, part of the reason mindfulness of the body is so helpful. Because one of the things it reveals is the present moment is a is one thing, for lack of a... I mean, it's not the most articulate way to describe it. You know, we, we talk about the diversity of experience because there are sights and there are sounds and there are touches and there are smells and tastes and there are thoughts and other mental activities, it seems incredibly diverse, because even within the one field, like visual field, there are so many aspects of my visual experience. Same with the auditory, same with the touch, smell and taste, same with the mental world, the mental activity world. It's quite diverse. But it's all here and now. There's something about the present moment that it has this nature of collected here and now. So when we're using this awareness of posture and we've made it a good friend, really developed it, built some momentum with the posture, then it's like the intimacy just naturally goes towards every other aspect of experience, like the emotional life and the mental life, and the visual life, and the auditory life. So this isn't meant, this mindfulness of the body isn't in the direction of an exclusive attention. 
So we're focusing on some sensation in the body and completely oblivious to everything else. It's really more about how to come into the totality of the present moment. So here's a second passage that I <clears throat> recommending that we work with this next week. So first was just the four postures. And then the second one is, is usually described as daily activities. And it goes like this. Furthermore, when going forward and returning, one makes oneself fully alert. When looking toward and looking away, when bending and extending one's limbs, when carrying one's outer cloak, one's upper robe and bowl, right, so anything you might be carrying, that's what the monastics carry, when eating, drinking, chewing and savoring, when urinating and defecating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, remaining silent, one makes oneself fully alert. And as one remains thus heedful, ardent, and resolute, any memories and resolves related to the worldly life of greed, anger, delusion are abandoned. And with their abandoning, one's mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. This is how a practitioner develops mindfulness immersed in the body. So as we near the end of tonight's class, you might we might even want to think together about, well, how am I going to remember to do this? You know, and so you might just get creative. Like some of the ways that I've done this in the past is, I'll just have a little note, I'll write on a, like a post-it, and I'll keep it in my pocket. You know, it could be mindfulness of posture or mindfulness of daily activities. Whenever my hand goes to my pocket, I remember. It's a little prompt. But you can put it, little notes around your house or your office or wherever you might see them. And just know that it might trigger that parental shaming or whatever, I'm not a good Buddhist or whatever energy in you, depending on your personality type, or if you're a rebel, it might be, you can't, I can't tell myself what to do, you know, and you might be dismissive of the prompt. So just find a way to prompt yourself in a way that will actually be conducive to being curious. Oh yeah. Because it's, it's not a big deal. You're not, no one's asking us to change our life or, it's just, like that little effort of remembering. See, we're not changing what, how we're doing stuff. You just do stuff the way you want to do stuff. We're just bringing this little effort to remember that the sensitive heart, the knowing mind, is already sensitive, already knowing bodily sensations. It's already happening but we're not remembering that it's happening because the mind hasn't been trained to value mindfulness immersed in the body. So really it's about values. We're valuing this intimacy with the body. So how are we going to prompt ourselves? How are we going to remember and grow that value? This is important. 
there is actually a place for being like using wholesome fear or wholesome concern like do I like what would it mean to get better and better at not being aware of the body and is this what I want for this life and I think I hope the resonant answer is no you know that doesn't make any sense whatsoever how could that be good to be here but not connected to be embodied but not aware This is a, a quote I really like from uh, Joko Beck. Some of you might remember or have read some of her books. Uh, she was a Zen teacher, um, mostly teaching in uh, San Diego, just outside of San Diego, I think. And uh, for many years, she died a while back. And I'm not sure of which of her two books this is from. Um, But it's her teaching, her little teaching about the end to our substitute life. So what she calls our worldly life, our life of greed, anger, and delusion, and mostly being caught up in our thoughts about things, lost in thought. She refers to that as our substitute life. So here's her con concluding paragraphs in this chapter uh, about the end to our substitute life. So the secret of life that we are all looking for is just this. To develop through sitting and daily life practice the power and courage to return to that which we have spent a lifetime hiding from. To rest in the bodily experience of the present moment even if it is a feeling of being humiliated, a failing, <clears throat> Excuse me. Even if it is a feeling of being humiliated, a failing of abandonment, of unfairness, we learn to rest in our experience without thought, to sink into a non-dual state. Even if we can stay only a few seconds at first, with time and development, we can learn to rest there for long periods of time. As we rest in this non-duality, <clears throat> we leave behind the phenomenal world of problems and dualistic solutions. We start with including and clarifying our psychological world but we end in a transformation that cannot be really described in words. We can only suggest a way of living that is free, compassionate, functional, and in this way our so-called problems can be dealt with in a more open and compassionate manner. Call this enlightenment if you wish, but please remember, we do not do this bodily experiencing just once or in one sitting. We are describing a lifetime process with many ups and downs, probably one that is never complete. It doesn't matter. What does matter is the slow, slow shift in the way we see and live our lives. This is the end to our substitute life. So let this be our homework 
uh, the formal sitting that I described, that very simple using the body scan and then moving to the whole body awareness and getting really interested in sustaining, keeping in mind the awareness of the body. And then during the rest of the day when you're not in your formal sit, just use postures and daily activities to keep bringing you back. And get creative with how you're going to prompt yourself. And I'll send that stuff out sometime in the middle of the day tomorrow so you'll get that email. And if you don't get the email, it means you're not in the email list. And then you can send Gabe or send Common Ground just a note saying, I'm in the Buddhist Studies class, but I'm not getting the emails. And we'll get it to you, uh, Gabe or I. We'll make sure you get it. And then I also sent a couple articles, one by Gil Fransdell that is pretty short, but I think is quite good as an introduction to the work we're doing. And another one is by another Zen teacher, Darlene Cohen, who's passed away recently. But next week I want to talk more about physical pain. And uh, she has a useful article, and I'll send some more resources out around physical pain that some of you might have time to read and, and would really benefit from if you do have time. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.